is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. Hello and welcome. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the roles of all the people involved in what we call the eye healthcare team and what you can expect when you go in for an eye exam, especially for a glaucoma evaluation. The eye is a small organ, but it has a lot of different parts. And since I was trained, there have been specialists developed in each of the major diseases that affect the eye, diseases of the retina, cataract, corneal diseases. So even among ophthalmologists, MD surgeons, we have seven different floors of our building and seven different specialty clinics. But of course, because you're listening here, probably the glaucoma group is the ones that you want to know the most about. You might be wondering who are all of the people that you meet when you come in to the eye doctor's office. So we're going to kind of go over the list because it can get a little bit confusing. After you go through the check-in, the first person who's going to take you back uh, to start up your exam is going to be one of the technicians. And so these individuals, they have different acronyms behind their names sometimes like COA, COT, or COMD. Um, They are certified. They go through a credentialing process, uh, just like many members of healthcare teams. I have to tell you, Mona, that I don't think I could pass the test right now to be a certified ophthalmic technician. I was looking at the test that our young people have to do, and they have a very high technical level of information that they have to know about before they can be so certified. That is true. They actually know quite a bit. Sometimes I go to my technicians and I run things by them too. I I feel like when we become very specialized, like you and I have become, some of the the very nitty gritty things um, that we don't do very often, the technicians are doing. And so they're really the experts in those things. We know how to interpret those tests, the visual field test and the imaging test. But if you ask me to sit down at the imaging machine and get a good set of pictures from one of my patients, I would have to ask one of the technicians to show me. Thank goodness for our technicians and also our ophthalmic photographers. And other people that you might meet during your eye exam include opticians. So opticians are the folks who you give your eyeglasses prescriptions to. When you hand them your prescription, they'll do all kinds of things like measurements to make sure that you get a really good pair of glasses. And they also handle ordering contact lenses for you. They're not the ones who actually check your eyeglasses prescription though. We'll go over that in just a second. Some other people that you might meet on your eye exam include people called orthoptists, and they're really uh, specialists in eye movement disorders, and they work with all of the doctors in the eye clinic. So if you're someone who has an eye muscle issue or often in clinics where there are children, there might be an orthoptist. Other people involved in the eye care team include low vision therapists and also occupational therapists. When it comes to the actual eye doctor, there's actually two different kinds. So we come in two flavors. We have optometrists and ophthalmologists. Optometrists are part of our university eye care team. And while people think of them as simply measuring you for the right eyeglasses, optometrists are trained to do an exam of the eye and to identify the presence of the major eye diseases. So you could think of them a bit as the family practicing doctor of eyes. Other flavor you mentioned, uh, well, those are ophthalmologists. So that's what you and I are. An ophthalmologist is a medical doctor and a surgeon. So behind their names, they'll have uh, the letters MD or DO. And our training is pretty rigorous. We go through four years of college, four years of medical school, one year of an internship, and then three years of practice just in the eye. And if you want to be a glaucoma specialist, it's another year or so after that. So our optometric colleagues, the optometrists, 
send us patients on a regular basis and do, in our practice, manage some of the more routine aspects of glaucoma care, even seeing some people annually. But once the medical and surgical treatment of glaucoma begins to be important for an individual patient, that for us is the role of the MD doctor surgeon. Certainly a lot of people involved in taking care of your eyes, but all of us are very important and we all work together. So that's important to keep in mind that sometimes you might go in for an eye exam and you notice that some things get repeated and that's okay since we're looking at slightly different things. Laser and surgical procedures, like Dr. Quigley mentioned, are done by ophthalmologists. I was interested that uh, as you and I talked about this, we talked about credentials. People will say to me, well, how do I know how to find a good optometrist or a good ophthalmologist? And there certainly are lots of these online grading systems. Some of those, I think you have to be careful because people can pay to get their names moved up higher on the list or they can game the system. From the point of view of glaucoma, if you were looking for an ophthalmologist, there are a series of ophthalmologists who are specifically trained in glaucoma work, and they are voted into membership to the American Glaucoma Society. And they have a website that we can provide you that you can look up who is a member of the American Glaucoma Society who's near you. Now, that doesn't mean an ophthalmologist who isn't a member of the Glaucoma Society couldn't do a wonderful job caring for your glaucoma. But if you're interested in a second opinion or you're interested in seeing someone who only sees glaucoma mainly, then that's how to find one. And on our website, we'll provide a link to the American Glaucoma Society. And our website is www.diagnosisglaucoma.com. When you go to the section for resources, you'll actually see the link to click on the American Glaucoma Society page. You'll also find a couple of other pages in case you wanted to look up people who are ophthalmologists on the American Academy of Ophthalmology website, or if you wanted to look up doctors here at the Wilmer Eye Institute. You're actually a founding member of the American Glaucoma Society, if I remember correctly. There were eight of us who started the group um, sometime around the Civil War. <laughs> and what does it take to become a, a member of that society? After your training as an ophthalmologist, as an MD ophthalmic specialist, you then must do at least one year, and sometimes it's two years or more, working with a, an existing member of the Glaucoma Society. So an older, usually more than one person who takes care of glaucoma as a dominant part of their practice. And you have to be agreed upon among the other members of the society as someone who they've met, who they have seen patients from, and who has, generally speaking, proven themselves as being someone worthy of providing you with a specialized opinion about glaucoma. I want to personally thank you for all of the work that you and the other founding members did to put that society together. It's been a great resource for glaucoma specialists. It's a place where we can all get together, ask each other questions, and come together at least once a year in a meeting. Now, the listeners may want to know, what do we do in an examination of a person to find if they have glaucoma? So there are quite a few pieces to that puzzle. Some of them are very similar to what you'd get in any eye exam. For example, you read the chart on the wall. Now it's usually a projected or an LED screen on the wall to get visual acuity, to tell whether you have what you know as 20-20 vision or not such a good vision. The second part of the exam involves inspection of the outside of the eye, but this is often done now with a pair of magnifying glasses on a stand where you put your chin up in the machine. And if you've had an eye exam, you know the slit lamp 
or this instrument that projects a slit of light onto the front of the eye so the eye doctor can see all the details of the front of the eye. It's in fact also in that instrument where we measure the eye pressure. And we do that with an instrument called a tonometer, which means to measure pressure. That's the blue light. If you've had a drop put in your eye and the doctor shines a blue light at you, that's still considered the gold standard way to measure the eye pressure, although there, there are other different ways of doing it. Mona, do you use some of the other methods? I do. I use some of the handheld machines to check eye pressure because sometimes a patient can't sit in front of the slit lamp or maybe I'm examining a child or a baby or, you know, there's some limitation to getting into that chair. So I'll use a little handheld machine. There's two kinds that I like. One is called a tono pen and there's another one called an eye care. We have an episode dedicated to equipment and actually discussing different ways to measure intraocular pressure. So stay tuned to more details on that. And in that one, you're going to find out that this eye care tonometer saved the lives of children around the world because we didn't have to anesthetize children in order to examine them and measure their eye pressure. And so by not having to have anesthesia, the kids live longer. So were you telling me that in the past, in order to check a baby's eye pressure, we had to put them under anesthesia? We took them to the operating room and gave them gas anesthesia. Wow. Things have improved over time. Is the drop that you use to check eye pressure, is that the one that blinds you, quote unquote? No, the one you're talking about that people remember if they've been dilated is the one that dilates the pupil. So before we get to the dilation, we do look at the front of the eye. It's something called gonioscopy. That's a test where we see, is the front of the eye crowded? And it's how we distinguish the two main kinds of glaucoma that you'll hear about from us in another podcast, open angle and angle closure. We also measure how thick the cornea, the leading front clear edge of the eye is, because that determines how accurate the eye pressure is. But the dilated eye exam, the one where we put the drops in, that's where for a period of time, we hope not terribly long, you can't see to read or you can't see well and you can't drive home easily. Now, actually, more recently, I've been severely limiting the amount of dilated pupil exams I'm doing. Do you still do them a lot? I do. I guess I'm kind of old school in my thinking with dilated eye exams. So for every new patient, I do want to get a dilated eye exam. And I do follow the preferred practice patterns from the American Academy of Ophthalmology, which suggests that you should be doing a dilated eye exam at least once a year for a glaucoma patient. We really want to get a good look at the optic nerve since that's where the damage in glaucoma occurs. And we have a test that also looks at the optic nerve head, but with a dilated eye exam, I feel like I'm getting the really fine detailed view of the optic nerve. And sometimes there are things that can still get missed on the imaging. And so I do wanna see the, the optic nerve very carefully. And you know, some patients have a little bigger pupil to begin with, like just naturally. So I can do an exam with the lens where I can see the optic nerve, but often I find that I do need to dilate the patients. And another reason for dilating patients is to get a good look at the retina, which is uh, kind of the peripheral part of the eye away from the optic nerve. So for patients who say, oh, you don't have to do that dilated exam on me today, do you? You're hearing it from a doctor who says it's a better exam if she does it that way. I think there are people who I've followed though for five or 10 years, we've seen there are not new problems coming up. And if we can get a look without dilation, then they can more easily drive themselves home. So that's the part of the exam. And what are we looking at? We're looking at the main nerve in the back of the eye 
the nerve fiber layer, and the area that you do your main seeing with called the macula, all of which give us very good information about do you have glaucoma, and if you have it, how bad is it? Finally, we're going to mention the visual field test, even though I'll bet if you went to a glaucoma office, that would be the first thing they did right after measuring your visual acuity, because this is the test where we show how sensitive is your vision at 50 or 60 locations while you're looking straight ahead. So you're telling us what you can see out to the somewhat to the side, the mid peripheral vision. And if we do that test after we've done everything else, the test isn't anywhere near as valid a way of telling how well. So very often you'll have the visual field test right soon, as soon as you walk in the door and the technician begins to talk to you. I find that the visual field test is actually a great way to fall asleep. So <laughs> what do you do to help patients prevent from falling asleep during the test? Well, taking a break is absolutely important. If the technician looks at the screen, they can actually see persons whose eyes are closed and they're falling asleep. Uh, sleep apnea patients, they snore, so you can tell that they're uh, not awake during the test. But I think that the test now, because we have gotten it down under five minutes per eye, and an even newer version is down to two or two and a half minutes per eye, people are much less likely to fall asleep. We did a study once where we said, how long can you go before the patient gets so bored or so tired that they start becoming inaccurate and giving a different answer from the answer they just gave a minute before? And the answer is you have about 90 seconds to two minutes in an individual patient before their reliability starts falling off. So we try to do one eye and then take a break and then do the other eye and take a break. I think that those are all great recommendations. Usually when I'm working with medical students or residents, I have them take a visual field test so they really get an understanding of what it's like to sit there in front of that machine with a baton in your hand and click away for a few minutes. A nice thing that we have now, as I mentioned earlier, was imaging of the optic nerve head. What were you doing before that? Because I find that machine to be really fantastic. Oh, the, the uh, time when I started practice, we were taking flash pictures on film of the inside of the eye. And a whole system that I developed a few years ago tried to look at the nerve fibers and, and count them, essentially to see how many little fibers are still there or how many are lost from glaucoma. Those bright pictures were things that people remembered six months later and they would say, oh my God, you don't have to do those photos on me this time, do you? Because the flash for the bright light was so bad that they couldn't see much of anything for 15 minutes. Some colleagues of ours from Tufts University and the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary developed OCT. It's a form of imaging we use now it came out of those initial nerve fiber layer research projects that we did, but they figured out how to measure things highly quantitatively, not dilating the pupil, and with a light that you can hardly even see is flickering. And I think if you were to say what is the single most important improvement in our diagnostic testing in the last 20 years in glaucoma, it definitely would be Dr. Joel Schumann's work on developing OCT. It's been great to train in the era where we have that technology. So for all of you who have glaucoma or are glaucoma suspects, we would recommend that you do get imaging of your optic nerve head at least once a year, and your doctor might even get it more than once a year. And that's okay because they're looking very carefully at the details of your nerve. And also the visual field test, yes, you do need to do it at least once a year because it is the best way to measure the peripheral vision. And that's the kind of vision that you do lose in glaucoma. And a lot of people don't notice it because they don't really pay so much attention to their peripheral vision. They focus more on their central vision. So yeah, even though it's kind of a boring test, 
we really encourage you to do that at least once a year, both of those tests, the visual field and the optic nerve head, and do get a dilated eye exam with an eye doctor. We like to say if you hate visual field tests, that proves that you're a normal human. And we do sympathize that it's a test that's really pretty arduous. And on the other hand, if that's the test that reassures you and the doctor, then it's really worth doing. One of the things you'll see the doctors doing is in our office, for example, we can show you on a screen what your image picture looked like, what your visual field test looked like. And there's some increasingly sophisticated software that says, did Mrs. Jones stay the same or did she get worse in the pictures or in the visual field test? And very often your doctor can show you the graphs of how you're doing. And I think even though the tests are not that much fun to do, the fact that you can see that over a period of years, you haven't gotten worse is the most reassuring thing we can do for someone. I wanna put in a last plug for contrast sensitivity testing. Contrast is how you differentiate different shades of grays or blacks or you know, different colors. And there is evidence that glaucoma patients can lose contrast sensitivity earlier than they have defects on the visual field test. It doesn't often get tested when you go in for an evaluation, but I think it's really important and I hope that we can start doing it more in the future. I, I think we're gonna do a podcast in the future about the relationship between the tests that we do in the clinical office and how they relate to how somebody functions in the real world in terms of reading and driving and walking and not falling down. And when Dr. Romelu, our division director here, did very detailed studies of which of the eye tests closely mimicked how well somebody was doing out in the world, it was the contrast sensitivity test that won almost every single time in terms of telling us how affected is this person in terms of their, uh, their real functioning. So I, I agree with you. Although we need some good research on being able to apply that test outside the very center of vision into the more peripheral area. And that's a great research project for you to work on this year. Indeed. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops.